have uh, our guest speaker here is David Brickner. David Brickner is the executive director of Jews for Jesus. He's also a longtime member of our, our church family, church community here at Cornerstone. He's also a very close friend of mine, a dear brother, and that's no exaggeration. Someone whom I've come to really love and trust and, and uh, prayed a lot with and shared a lot with. And he has a true heart. Um, he loves God. And uh, his, his organization works all over the world. He, he has a tremendous amount of weight on him that he often carries, as is frequently the case with, with those who are responsible for, for leading something. And um, he has to handle a myriad of different responsibilities, and, and he has a gracefulness in his heart and a tenacity that I think will allow for us to be able to share out of the word that he's going to give us. I mean, he's going to talk to us about the, the choice that we are invited to make. And um, I think it's going to be a blessing. But what I'd like us to do, um, if we could, even though he's part of our church, I'd still like us to give him a, a warm welcome. Can we do that? Thank you, David. My brother. Thank you, brother. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you. It is always a privilege for me to share with my family, to be part of the congregation here and to come. And uh, thank you, Pastor Terry, for that warm welcome and for the opportunity to be here. I've been very intrigued by this, uh, this series that we've been going through, Moments of Decision. You know, there was a couple who, before they got married, made a decision that um, in life, he would make all the major decisions and she would make all the minor ones. So after 20 years, someone asked him, how's this working out for you? And he said, you know, the amazing thing is that in all this time, I've never had to make one major decision. <laughs> you know, all of us have moments of decision in our lives, whether we realize it or not. And sometimes the most important decisions kind of sneak up on us. And we don't realize that the decision that we're taking is of such significance. H. Fosdick said that he who chooses the beginning of a road chooses the place it leads to. It is the means that determine the end. And I was thinking about that as I was looking at the, the, the cover of our handout. You've got this guy who's walking down this road, but you look up ahead and you see that pretty soon he's going to have to make a decision. He can go to the right or to the left, but he's going to have to choose a moment of decision. And as I thought about this, it seemed to me that the most significant moments of decision are those when we are responding to the invitation of our Creator, our God who has invited us into relationship with Him, into a life lived in obedience to Him, a life of full of meaning because of Him. And uh, so, we're going to look at one such invitation. It's in your handout in Matthew chapter 11. And uh, you'll notice that I entitled this time, this sharing, You Are Cordially Invited, RSVP. Uh, I imagine over the last number of months, many of us have received wedding invitations, and there's always an RSVP. It's in French, it stands for Répondez s'il vous plaît, respond if you please. And uh, we get that, you know, and we look at it and we decide whether or not we're going to go or whether we're not going to go to the wedding. And uh, 
you're supposed to respond even if you're not going to go. Some of us kind of like, so I don't know if I'm going to go. And we set it aside. We forget about it. But nevertheless, even by forgetting about it, we've responded. <laughs> and we have that opportunity when Jesus extends it to us in these words. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the interesting thing about this invitation that Jesus extends is it comes in the context of a bit of conflict and controversy. Just before Jesus offers this invitation, he'd been talking about three cities that he had visited where he had extended an invitation and it had been rejected. Right in his own backyard in Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazin, he came and was rejected. And his response was, woe to you. There's a consequence for rejecting the invitation. And yet here is this gracious invitation. And sometimes when our God invites us, it's, it feels like an intrusion because we have a responsibility to answer to the one who made us. And I know a little bit about that in my own life and ministry because sharing the message of Jesus oftentimes is seen as an intrusion. And uh, I remember once I was out on uh, the streets of Tel Aviv in Israel uh, on Dizengoff Street, which is kind of like Market Street in Tel Aviv. It's a major thoroughfare, a lot of people walking by. And I was there with my T-shirt on that said, Yehudim Laman Yeshua, Jews for Jesus in Hebrew, handing out tracts, inviting people to consider Jesus. And a religious guy walked up to me and he said, you're a false prophet, and you're leading Israel astray, and I'm going to pray a curse on you and your family, and you can pray a curse on me and my family, and we'll see whose curse is stronger. <laughs> you know, this isn't something that they teach you about in Bible college. You know? And I found myself saying this to him. I said, sir, you can pray a curse on me, but I'm going to pray a blessing on you that you come to know your Messiah, Jesus. And you know, it was only later that I realized that's exactly what Jesus taught us to do. He said, when your enemy curses, bless and curse not. And that just, you know, the Spirit just gave me that to say. But uh, so he started to pray right there on that street corner in Hebrew, his curse on me and my family. <laughs> and I started to pray in English. And uh, I can assure you the first thing I prayed for was protection for me and my family. <laughs> But then I did pray for him, and I prayed that God would bless him by giving him the knowledge of who Jesus is. And he left, and eventually I forgot about it. And a few days later, I was with a whole bunch of our Juice for Jesus staff and volunteers. We were in actually two vans full, and we were going to go to the beach that day. And we pulled into the parking lot right across from the beach and got out and were milling around with our T-shirts on. And right in between the two vans was this little subcompact car. And I happened to look inside the windshield. And there was this guy who had prayed this curse on me, <laughs> looking out with eyes like saucers, you know. And he just jumped out of the car and literally ran out of that parking lot across the street. <laughs> and I realized that he was getting another invitation from God. 
Some might say, well, that was a coincidence, but I call it a God incidence. He was inviting, even though it may have appeared to be an intrusion, God invites us to have moments where we can make decisions as to how we're going to respond. And this, this invitation from Jesus is so gracious. There's really two parts. He says, come to me. And then he says, learn from me. And that's the invitation he extends to us today as well. You know, we live in a society that is calling out for us, you know, trying to get our attention. How many of you have gotten a number of Evites over the last year or friended on Facebook? You know, back when Israel was having its election, I was friended by Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel. Now, I knew he didn't do it, but I was friended. I was invited to his political party, and we're constantly invited. The world uh, that we live in beckons to us to be consumed with the events that are surrounding us, the problems, the troubles, captivate us, or we're called to the pursuit of pleasure. All of these things, and in the midst of it, we hear the voice of our Creator who calls us to lift our eyes above those things that we're surrounded and those things that are vying for our attention. He calls us to pay attention to that still, small voice. Come to me. Come to me. Learn Learn from me. Jesus, in so many wonderful ways, extended invitations throughout his life and ministry on the earth. When he first encountered some of his followers, they weren't yet followers, but they were interested. They said, so Jesus, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. He opened up his home. Or when he was walking and he saw Peter and James and John in the boats fishing, which was their occupation, he said, come after me, and I'll make you fishers of men. There was a group of people that had surrounded Jesus, and some of the parents had brought their children, and they wanted their children to go and to sit in Jesus' lap, and the disciples were a little bit bothered by that. They said, no, 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 no. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and forbid them not, because this is the kingdom of God. After he did that wonderful miracle where he fed the multitudes, miraculously breaking the loaves and multiplying the fishes, the crowd got hungry again and they came to him expecting more food. And he says, anyone who is hungry, let him come to me. Anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me. And I will give food. I'll give drink. I will in no way cast you out. That's our God. That's the gracious invitation that sometimes appears as an intrusion. But who is he calling? He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Now, is that a prerequisite? Only those people who are heavy laden? No. In reality, Jesus invites everyone. In Luke 14, there, he tells a story about a man who had a, uh, you know, a banquet that he wanted to invite his friends to. And he had lots of friends, and yet they, uh, the friends had lots of excuses about why they wouldn't come. They wouldn't come to this great banquet. And so he says to his servants, all right, then go out into the highways and the byways and get the weak and the lame and the blind and the poor. I want everybody to come. But you see, it's when you recognize your own weakness 
and the burdens that you're carrying that you're most ready to respond to this gracious invitation. We often feel self-satisfied, comfortable in our own self-control, but it's when the burdens begin to press down. And boy, do we have them. You know, life has a way of just grinding you down slowly, slowly, whether it be disappointments with people, financial pressures, the wounds of broken friendships, all of the things that come into our life that make us feel like we're burdened, we're laboring under the pressures. It's at that moment where Jesus says, is that the way you're feeling? Great, because that's when you're most ready to hear my voice and to come. And that's what he's saying to us today as well. Come, come to me. And what happens when we come? He says, I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. You don't have to strive anymore. You don't have to struggle. A little bit earlier in Matthew, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, that's not a prerequisite in one sense, that only the people who are poor in spirit get the kingdom of heaven. But there's something about recognizing our poverty of spirit that sets us up and gets us ready to receive the good things that God has to give. When we stop our own self-confidence and rely upon his mercy and grace, then we're ready to come, and then we're ready to receive what he has to give, and what he gives is rest. That burden that you're carrying, there's rest. That responsibility that you don't seem to be able to handle, rest. Rest, refreshment, that's what Jesus brings. He brings forgiveness for all the things that we've done to alienate ourselves from God and from others. He gives us rest from all of the sense of that it's all up to us and that if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. He says, no, I'm with you in this. Come to me. Sometimes I, you know, I've come to Jesus. Some of us maybe have not yet availed ourselves of the rest that he offers, the forgiveness and grace. But even those of us who've experienced that in the past sometimes take back the burdens, take back the responsibilities, and we need to come again. Keep coming. And the pressures that I feel oftentimes leading Jews for Jesus, you know, that it's all my job, it's my responsibility to fix all the problems, to solve all the things that are presented to me. And I take them on, and soon I begin to feel the weight, and I'm pressed down. And it's at that moment that I have to say, okay, I'm going to come again. And he is so gracious to welcome me when I do that. But it's not just coming and receiving that rest. It's also a continuing relationship. He says, don't just come to me, but learn from me. Learn from me. That's also the grace of God to invite us into that relationship. It's not... Uh, an intellectual pursuit here. It's not like we're sitting in a classroom with our books open and our pens ready to write down notes of what Jesus is saying. He's inviting us to an identification with him and to a relationship that goes beyond that initial step of coming. It's an ongoing, learning, and growing relationship. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and the two go hand in hand. And we know that because he says... 
He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, the yoke is an agricultural implement that's used to place on the head of an animal to get it to a place where it's ready to pull the plow behind you. You know, so it's made of wood and it goes around the head of the animal and there are straps that can be used to control the animal. And that's the initial understanding of a yoke. In the Older Testament, there is a, a sense in which when the invading armies would come, whether they were the Assyrians or the Babylonians to take Israel into captivity, a symbol of that captivity was that the Israelites were put individually in yokes. These were not yokes for animal. They were yokes for, for people. And this wooden yoke was put around the neck of that person, and their arms were put into that yoke as well, and they were taken away captive, and it was a degrading and debasing and demoralizing experience. And so the yoke was an image of subjugation, of submission out of fear. The rabbis also used that phrase. They invited Jewish people who wanted to be religious to submit themselves to their yoke. They called it the yoke of the kingdom or the yoke of the Torah, the, the law of Moses. And it wasn't just the Torah, it wasn't just the first five books of Moses, it was all of the other things that the rabbis had included and added to those commandments. And so to take on the yoke of the rabbis was something that all of Jesus' listeners would have understood. And Jesus is saying, no, I've got a different yoke. He said, the yoke of the rabbis is not a yoke that you can really bear. They had an idea about Sabbath. You know, we're talking about rest. Jesus is offering rest, rest for your souls. And Sabbath, rest, was a concept that was well understood, and it was the main part of what it meant to take on this yoke, to observe the Sabbath. And actually, in the very next chapter, Matthew chapter 12, that's exactly what they start debating. And Jesus says, no, you guys haven't figured out this whole thing about Sabbath. Man was not made for the Sabbath. <laughs> Sabbath was made for man. And consequently, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. I've got a different yoke. Jesus said of the followers of the rabbis. He says, you know what they do? In Matthew chapter 23, he says, they bind heavy burdens on you, burdens that are hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders and they won't lift a finger to help. Later on, in the early church in Acts chapter 15, the early Jews for Jesus, those Jewish believers in Jesus, are, are recognizing that there's some non-Jews who are now coming to follow him. And so they're having a debate should we have these Gentiles convert to Judaism and begin to follow the rabbis and the Jewish religion as part of their obedience to Jesus, as, fo as, as followers of Jesus? And, and Peter stands up in the midst of this debate and he ends it by saying this, why do you want to put a yoke on the neck of these disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? So that there's an understanding that there are some yokes in the minds of the people when Jesus is talking that are not very pleasant. But Jesus says, if you want to learn from me, take my yoke. My yoke is easy. 
and my burden is light. Now, I was thinking about this and wondering, was Jesus saying, hey, my expectations are lower than the rabbis. I don't really need you to obey all these things that, um, that I'm telling you. I've got less expectations. I don't think so. It's not a question of diminished expectations, but rather the way in which the yoke is presented. The word that Jesus actually uses for yoke is not the kind that people were carried away into captivity with. It's not even that single yoke that an ox was, had its neck put into. It's the double yoke, where you've got a team of animals. And Jesus says, this isn't your yoke I'm inviting you to take. It's my yoke. So I'm right there with you, you see. So come along. I was thinking about it in another way. Uh, a number of us here at Cornerstone enjoy backpacking. And the backpack is an amazing invention because you can put a lot of stuff in it and carry it fairly easily. And uh, if you were to take out all the things, the tent and the food and everything that you carry, and try and carry it in your arms and climb up a mountain or go hiking, it would be a miserable experience. You can't carry it. You're dropping things. It's heavier. But the backpack enables you to put the burdens that you have to carry, and it ergonomically sits on your hips and on your shoulder in such a way as you can carry a lot of stuff, and it's fairly easy. And that's what Jesus says, my yoke is easy. In other words, he says it fits right. It's not that there aren't burdens, and it's not that there aren't responsibilities, but the yoke that Jesus offers is his yoke, and it fits right. And why is that? It says, he says, because I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's the character of the one who extends the invitation that makes the yoke bearable for us. He's already gone before to bear the yoke of our burdens, and because of that, he invites us into a life of learning and growth in which we can bear those burdens by his strength and through his power. In this passage in your handout, Philippians, Paul is taking this identification Jesus has of himself, gentle and lowly in heart, and he's explaining it in Philippians. And in fact, Paul is actually reflecting uh, the words here of a, an ancient Jewish prayer that is actually still prayed to this day in the synagogue. It's called the Alenu. The Alenu, one of the main ideas behind the Alenu prayer is that we bend the knee and bow before the creator of the universe. And if you think about it, in order to put on a yoke, you need to bend. And then you stand with a burden, but a burden that's easy and light. And, and Paul tells us that we can do that because of who Jesus is. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why is Jesus' burden easy and light? Because of who he is. And because he emptied himself, Paul goes on to say, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. And because of who he is, 
we can take his yoke. You see, he's already taken ours. And so when he says, learn from me, he's inviting us into a whole life of service where we can grow in grace in response to his invitation. You'll find rest for your souls. Not the kind of rest that you've been thinking about like one day that you set aside from all the others in which you're working. No, but a whole experience of rest. A life that is resting in his grace and in his mercy. Later on, there's a book called Hebrews in the Newer Testament that's actually written to Jewish believers in Jesus in the first century. And they're really struggling with this idea, do we still keep the Sabbath? Do we still follow the teaching of the rabbis? And the author of Hebrews says, you know what? We who have believed in Jesus enter his rest. It's not a a one-day thing. It's a life. And there is, therefore, a rest for the people of God. We're invited into that rest And it's a rest of growth and learning and, yes, surrender to the one who bore it all for us. And the thing about it is you cannot have that life of learning and growth unless you first respond to his invitation to come. You need to come. You need to experience the rest that comes with laying down your own burdens and picking up the burden that he offers. A life of forgiveness. A life of grace. A life where the mercy of God brings healing the wounds of our heart. But likewise, we cannot continue to enjoy that rest unless we likewise commit ourselves to this process of learning and growth. When we stop and we fail to receive that invitation to learn and to grow, then the rest begins to fade. And that's our moment of decision. Will we come to him? Will we learn from him? Jim Elliott was a dedicated missionary to Ecuador who was killed by the Aka Indians in 1956. Maybe you saw the movie that was done about his life back in 2005, The End of the Spear. It's an amazing story of dedication. In a prayer that was published after his death, Elliott wrote, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that people must turn one way or another. In a sense, Eliot was praying that he would be like Jesus, that he would invite people through his life to be a follower of him. And that invitation, of course, is extended to us as well. We have a moment of decision. You know, I thought about this and It seemed appropriate to me for us to be able to respond to Jesus' invitation even here in this service. And so you'll notice in your handout this box, Jesus invites us, come to me. Some of us maybe have never availed us ourselves of the rest that he offers when we first come. And we're going to have some time to meditate on this. And the song that the band is going to close us out with, it comes right from this passage. Come, all you weary. And as you hear the words, and as you listen to the song, reflect and see if God isn't speaking to you and in in some special way giving you an opportunity to have a moment of decision. You might even want to, in response, check that box. Yes, I will come. Or maybe you've been... In responding to that, now at the point where you're saying, 
I want to follow on. I want to become more engaged in a life of obedience, of surrender, of taking up this yoke of learning and growing and becoming the person, the follower of Christ that he wants me to be. Likewise, this moment of decision to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, to renew that commitment, this is a moment of decision. While the band plays, seek the Lord, and if he's speaking to you, Respond to him. Let's pray. Lord, you are such a gracious God, inviting us in to a life that is rich and full, that is free from the burdens of having to depend upon our own efforts, our own ability inviting us to a life that is carried along by your mercy and grace. Lord, help us to hear your voice. Help us to listen, Lord, in a way that we can experience your grace to come and your continuing grace to learn, to bend the knee and bow before the creator of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and to receive from your hand the burden of, of obedience that is easy and light and just fits. Lord, we come. Lord, we learn. In Jesus' name.